This is the Ultra Running History Podcast. I'm your host, Davey Crockett. Thanks. Thanks for coming. We are doing some serious social distancing today. Yes, you are wise to do so. Hopefully people are learning the joy of doing solo runs. Well, don't you forget it. This is episode 50. Wow. Yes, 50 episodes. Who would have thought? This episode is the fifth and final part of the Grand Canyon Rim-to-Rim history. In this episode, I will tell the stories of the races across the canyon that were held for many years. Gentlemen! Start your engines! Uh, no, not that kind of race. Not that kind either, but racing mules in the Grand Canyon would be pretty cool to watch. That's more like it. Believe it or not, races across the Grand Canyon used to be conducted for hikers and runners. Early on, they occurred with the approval of the National Park, but in later years, they were held contrary to rules set forth by the park. Eventually, underground races or large commercial rim-to-rim hikes became a point of controversy and outsiders commented that rim-to-rim hikers and runners were turning the Grand Canyon into their own private sports arena for a day. But within all these various events appeared some incredible athletic accomplishments and unforgettable experiences. There are many ways to enjoy the canyon, whether fast or slow, in a day or within a week. There were some key individuals who helped others open their minds to understand what adventures were possible that decades earlier were thought to be impossible. Most were careful to respect the canyon and others enjoying it, but others were not. Jerry Jobski, born in 1944, never ran track in high school, was co-captain of his basketball team, but sat on the bench. He went into military service during the Vietnam War, and when he returned, he thought he might try baseball at Arizona State University at Tempe. But then he saw a notice seeking cross-country runners, so he applied. The coach asked him about his running history, and he said that he had none. Jobski said, I had no idea what cross-country runners wore, so I went down and bought me a pair of track shoes. When he showed up with those shoes, one team member laughed, Man, you don't need those where we're going to run in the desert. Jobski soon became one of the team's premier distance runners. He broke the university's three-mile record in 1969 with 1330. He and teammate Chuck LeBenz would run 150-mile weeks. In October 1970, perhaps the earliest race across the Grand Canyon was held. It was a three-man race, north to south. The participants were former Arizona State University elite distance runners Jerry Jobski, Chuck LeBenz, and George Young. Their goal was to break the three-hour barrier. The current fastest known time was 3.56, set in 1963 by Alan Curitan of Williams, Arizona. About the Grand Canyon, Jobski said, It was George's idea, and Chuck thought it was great. I said they were both nuts. That night before the run, I had no intention of participating, but Baldy, 
the ASU track coach, called me up and I said I'd go on the spur of the moment. Dobsky won the rim-to-rim race with a time of 3.08, lowering the fastest known time. For his win, he received a Coke and a handmade ribbon from Young's wife. Four years later, in 1974, Bill Emerton, a self-promoting ultra-runner legend from Australia, living in Ohio, went to the canyon to run a double crossing. Previously, he had run two long-distance runs through Death Valley in soaring temperatures in the 1960s. For his Grand Canyon run, Emerton, at age 53, received significant newspaper attention for his rather foolish hot August attempt. At his Yaki Point start at 6 o'clock a.m., he was cheered on by Grand Canyon Park Superintendent Merrill Stitt and many other rangers as he descended South Kaibab Trail. He planned on a 14-hour double crossing. Emerton had a rough time with the trails and finished his first crossing in a slow 7 hours and 45 minutes. He was greeted by many tourists and park personnel. Despite all the news coverage, he decided to quit. He said, This is the most difficult run I have made during my entire life. He justified his decision to quit at one crossing with, The trails were too narrow and would have been impossible for me. The rocks also caused several bruises on both feet, which was one factor which helped in making the decision against the return run. Rangers thought his single crossing was a record, but it wasn't even close to Jerry Jobsky's 1970 fastest known time of 3.08. Emerton's run was written up in Sports Illustrated. He ran again the next year and completed a single crossing in 4.52. In October 1974, Jerry Jobsky and Chuck LeBenz again raced across the canyon north to south. Jobsky won again and slightly lowered his own fastest known time for a single crossing. He finished in 3.07.27. In 1976, Max Telford went to run a Grand Canyon double crossing. Telford was from Scotland, New Zealand, and later Hawaii and the Philippines. He was known mostly for being a solo stunt ultra runner. He sought out running adventures to be the first or the fastest to get his name in the Guinness Book of World Records. He had ambitions to be the greatest long-distance runner of all time, and people at the time believed that he was, based on his self-promotion. He said of the canyon, When I first saw it, I was overwhelmed. The switchback trail was about three to six feet wide, very stony, very dangerous. The park rangers were thrilled and told him that a double crossing had never been done before. But of course it had. See episode 47. As Telford was coming back up out of the canyon, the rangers told the tourists what was happening, and several hundred cheered when he finished in 8.34. It was the fastest known time. Telford soon claimed that he was the greatest ultra-runner in the world. He wasn't, but his stunts received a lot of publicity. Young was a physicist at the Institute of Atmospheric Physics in Tucson, Arizona, and was referred to as the guru of running in Tucson. Starting in 1975, Young started running on various trails around Tucson. Ken then had the idea to establish organized races on the Tucson area trails. Various small races were put together starting in 1977. Young won many of them. 
During May 1977, Young, aged 35, ran across the Grand Canyon south to north in 345. He said, It wasn't pleasant. The only thing pleasant about it was finishing so you could lie down. Young soon expanded his trail races to the Grand Canyon. In 1978, Ken Young and Jennifer Hesketh organized the first open race across the Grand Canyon with a small group north to south. The next year, in 1979, the race grew to 24 runners, including one woman. Wally Scheel, aged 26, explained, We started at 5.30 in the morning. The sun hadn't even come up yet. We were running by moonlight. We started at the North Rim on the Kaibab Trail. It was very cold in the beginning, about 40 degrees at the start. By the time the sun came out, we were out of the pines and in the desert vegetation. There were logs, holes, rocks, and even people in sleeping bags we had to jump over. After crossing the Black Bridge, they headed up the South Kaibab Trail. We carried water in bottles and on our belts, but dehydration was just a matter of time. Hikers coming down would give us water. We were running out. There was another race we were involved in, which at that point was getting out of the sun. All of them finished. Mike Foster of Phoenix was the overall winner in 306. Kathy Ship of Tempe finished in 7:10. After finishing, Young asked Sheil, "Wally, what do you think about running across the canyon and back?" He replied, "Ken, I don't know. We've just been running for four hours, and I'll have to think about it later." Those thoughts would eventually lead to a double-crossing race. Alan Carl Kirtan was from Williams, Arizona. When he was 15 years old in 1952, he accomplished his first rim-to-rim hike with his father. He went on to attend Arizona State College, now NAU, in Flagstaff, Arizona, where he ran track. He became an active member of the college's hiking club and president starting in 1957. By 1962, Kirtan had made 48 trips into the canyon, including a long 90-mile hike lengthwise. Curitan became an early elite trail runner in Arizona and would set the standard for rim-to-rim runs. In May 1962, Curitan attempted to beat the fastest known time across the canyon. He accomplished it in 4.15. In November 1963, Curitan again lowered the mark, this time with a time of 3.56. It was written in the newspaper, With apt promotion, the run through the mile-deep chasm could become a unique sporting competition. The rim-to-rim race grew each year and on October 4, 1981, had an amazing 101 starters and they all finished. Jennifer Hesketh reported, quote, In the early morning semi-darkness, the runners steamed down the rocky, muddy, and washed-out trail. The climb out at the south end was muddy and slippery too. Some people from the south rim supplied the heretofore unheard of but wonderfully appreciated four aid stations with water. Alan Curitan, 44, finished in 3.06.47, lowering the fastest known time, and Linda Donkelar finished in 3.40.29. On November 9, 1981, Young and Hesketh organized the first Grand Canyon double-crossing race, starting at South Kaibab Trailhead. Nine Brave Runners participated, with five taking an early start at 3.46 a.m. The others started at 6.30. 
the upper North Kaibab Trail was pretty washed out in places. Hesketh reported, quote, The race really began on the return leg, with most people letting out the stops and returning at a brisk pace. One observer stated, On some areas of the Kaibab Trail, one long stride and the runner won't have to worry about permanent injuries the rest of the season, or for the rest of his life for that matter. Alan Kirton won in 7.51.23, which was a fastest known time for a double crossing. He set the bar for future runners. It was at least 25 years before his records were broken. On November 7, 1982, the Grand Canyon double crossing race exploded to 50 runners. Runners were warned. The cost to haul you out, should you be injured or just plain tired out, could run between $75 and $100. You are on your own once you begin. The trail is not maintained on the north rim part. It will be leaf-strewn, washed out, rocky, and in some parts very dangerous. One section, the cliffs, is blasted out of rock and has a very sheer drop-off. The last climb out can be exhausting. You must climb out if you want to go home. There are no aid stations, course monitors, trophies, or anyone to hold your hand. The runners could choose between four start times from 2.35 a.m. to 6.39 a.m. The group became congested near the turnaround at the North Rim. Ray Clark won in 7.58. Valerie Doyle set the women's fastest known double crossing time with 10.53. All but one of the starters finished the complete double. After that year, a major television network was interested in televising a rim-to-rim run with 1,000 runners. That got the park's attention. The Grand Canyon National Park Service requested that no formal, organized competitive events or spectator sports take place within the park. Young and Hesketh complied and stopped organizing a double-cross race. But only three years later, on November 3, 1985, a Grand Canyon double crossing was organized by Fred Reamer, 37, from Utah. That year, 23 runners started and 21 runners finished. They used three different starting times from 3.15 a.m. to 6.15 a.m. with near-freezing temperatures at the south rim. The inner canyon reached a comfortable 76 degrees. All runners carried a little food and a water bottle. Most runners stopped at Phantom Ranch for a rest and a lemonade. Reamer set up two aid stations on the final climb. Ray Clark won again with 9.04. Cindy Suplizio, a well-known triathlete from Salt Lake City, lowered the women's fastest known time to 10.28. She placed fifth overall. Sid Hirsch, born in 1930, grew up in Tucson, Arizona, where his mother opened a children's shoe store in 1954. Hirsch worked there after serving in the Korean War and eventually took over the family business that expanded into chain stores in Tucson. In the mid-1960s, he went to a Sierra Club outing and he joined the club and got very involved. He then started to lead backpack trips to the Grand Canyon and other places. Hirsch soon succeeded doing a double crossing of the Grand Canyon, was so enthused about it that he decided to resurrect a double crossing race even though it wasn't authorized in the park. The annual double crossing races started in 1986 and were held in late May when it could be very hot and dangerous. The first year, 13 started and 10 finished. The race started with hikers, but each year more runners joined in. 
Wally Scheel of Tucson, Arizona, was an Arizona ultra-running pioneer in the 1980s and had run marathons since 1969. He took up ultras in 1980, winning a 100-kilometer race on a 400-meter track in 936. He said, Some marathon runners think ultra runners are wacko, which is ironic because there are people who run the 10Ks who think the marathoner runner is crazy. For Scheele, after a while, the marathon just didn't hold his interest anymore. In preparing for ultramarathons, I thought I would have to double my mileage during the week. I didn't have to. That was a very pleasant surprise to me, not to have to go up to 150 miles. In ultramarathon training, the emphasis is on time, on hours, rather than miles. In 1987, Scheele was a Coca-Cola delivery man who had finished 96 marathons or ultras. He had conquered Western States 100 in 2143. On October 3, 1987, a Utah version of the Grand Canyon Double Crossing race was held with 25 starters again organized by Fred Reamer of Utah. The race would start at the North Rim. Scheele entered the race but had far greater plans. The night before the race, he camped with a group of runners on the North Rim trying to relax that evening before their canyon run to start early in the morning. As the group was about to break up for the evening, Shields said, I guess we're all going to have our own challenges tomorrow. He told them that he was going to do the same run they were doing, only he would be doing it twice. There was a long silence. Then someone laughed nervously. <laughs> right. Shields explained, The single crossing was the pinnacle, and running once across one of the seven great wonders of the world was enough. The years passed and the double crossing began to take place regularly with increasing attendance. I never returned to the canyon. Then I read in our daily newspaper that local hikers walked back and forth across the canyon in a day. I was shocked and amazed. Surely only ultra runners would attempt and could complete a double crossing. Instantly I was inspired to up the ante. I opted for a goal of four crossings of the Grand Canyon. Shield started his run at 4 a.m. It's a bit cold, a bit chilly. We're off. He snapped on his flashlight and threw himself into the blackness of the Grand Canyon's North Kaibab Trail. Watch my footing here on these cliffs. I'll switch back. After his first crossing, Shield's dad, Walter, and his brother John greeted him at the South Kaibab Trailhead, ready with food, water, and dry clothes. Did a little foot care. Nope. Still in good, still in good spirits. Overall, pretty good. So, yeah. a little tired. <laughs> All right. Shield ran on and finished the first crossing in 10:05, good enough for second place in the formal race. Shield's wife Holly crewed him on the north rim. Holly had set up a complete kitchen and aid station at the trailhead. Shield grabbed a pot from a camp stove and began stuffing down warm spaghetti as he changed his socks. Clusters of people had been lounging around waiting for other canyon runners to return. They were puzzled by Shield's preparations. The word got out that he was going to run the canyon again. Onlookers wished him luck and within minutes he kept going to attempt the first quad crossing. Rich Kelly paced him 14 miles down to Phantom Ranch and then waited there for the return for the last climb. Kelly had no doubt that Shield would make it. He said, Wally's focusing power is incredible. 
About 3.30 a.m., Holly was waiting in a car near the North Kaibab trailhead. It was too cold to sit by the trail. She had set out a lantern as a beacon for the two runners to return. Down below, a few miles from the top, the fire had almost gone out inside Sheil. The rock in the trail that he skipped over that morning, he now had to stop for and step gingerly over. It hurt to run, and it hurt to rest. Sheil said. It turned into a death march. Rick was taking care of me like a mother. Kelly would rub Sheil's back and legs each time he stopped. He tried hard to keep a good balance. You turn the flashlight beam out there, and it'd go off into oblivion. Kelly said. It turned into a basic survival thing. We were just trying to get our butts out of there. Finally above, Holly could see their lights heading toward the trailhead. She jumped out of the car and rushed toward Sheil as he lurched into the lantern's glow. He accomplished the first quad crossing in 24 hours, 45 minutes, the first ever to do that. I can't describe what that was like. He said, I'm not masochist. I don't like pain. But it's neat when the cards are stacked against you and you can keep going. He knew that others would follow him doing the quad and do it faster, but he knew that he was the first. They can't take that away. Jim Nelson lowered the fastest known quad time in 1999 to 2248, still held in 2020. I accomplished the quad in 2006, the fifth to do so, and added more miles to make it an even 100 mile run. As of 2020, only about a dozen runners had accomplished a quad or more. In 1989, 44 runners started and 43 finished Hirsch's rim-to-rim-to-rim race. Hirsch was asked why he kept putting on the race. He replied, It's my little baby. Hikers who never considered rim-to-rim-to-rim will decide to try it. In May 1992, as Hirsch planned to put on the 7th annual rim-to-rim-to-rim 50, The Arizona Highways magazine featured a long story by William Hafford about the 1991 race in which the author described the start. I am hemmed in by 63 bodies, male and female, bodies that shortly will propel themselves, taking me along toward the edge of the abyss, then turn abruptly on the narrow trail at the canyon's edge and lunge into the enveloping darkness. The route that year went down Bright Angel Trail to Indian Garden, then on the primitive winding Tonto Trail to tip off down South Kaibab, up North Kaibab, and back for about 52 miles. If you finished in under 24 hours, you could buy a t-shirt. Sandy Richmond, hiking with her 15-year-old daughter, explained their DNF. She said, quote, We were about a mile and a half from the North Rim. We stopped, talked it over, agreed that it wouldn't be smart to go on. We turned back, and when we reached Phantom Ranch, Rachel sat on a bench and cried. Then she said she was ready to climb back out of the canyon. It took them 22 hours, 10 of it in darkness. The author of the story had fallen, sprained his ankle, and did not even make it to the river. With the publicity of the Arizona Highways article, more than 100 people wanted to enter the 1992 race. Hirsch invited them in. 
The Park Service was alarmed and not pleased with the article. Park Superintendent Robert S. Chandler quickly wrote a letter to Hearst saying that the race was unauthorized and required a special use permit. The park, of course, had no intention of approving such a permit, claiming it was dangerous to other hikers, mules, riders, and the participants. The formal 1992 race was canceled and was unwisely changed into an informal gathering to run with Hirsch starting at 3.30 a.m. on May 16th. More than 80 runners showed up for the informal group. Two rangers waited at the trailhead. Hirsch read all the participants a statement that the rim-to-rim-to-rim race was no more, but he was still going to run, and any others were welcome to join him, but they were on their own. The rangers said that they had an illegal assembly and could all be cited. Angry exchanges took place, but the runners were eventually allowed to go once all of them gave their names and contact information. Participants were warned that they would need to pay for the helicopter rides out. The day in May was very hot, and two hikers that day had to be rescued by helicopter, and the park continued to monitor the runners by air. Hirsch said, The rangers meant well, but every time I passed one, I felt like a criminal. That was the last Hirsch double-crossing event in the Grand Canyon, which the Arizona Daily Star of Tucson critically described as the yearly opportunity to turn the Grand Canyon into their own private sports arena for 24 hours. In the early 1990s, Scott Beck of Phoenix started to quietly organize rim-to-rim hikes or runs with friends, but each year the event grew. By 2011, it involved four tour buses full of people that left Phoenix for a hotel in Kanab, Utah. The next morning, the runners started in 30-minute waves on the north rim, and then the buses left to pick them up on the south rim. Hundreds of people were involved. Beck instructed participants that if asked who the organizer was, that they shouldn't mention his name. But eventually, someone needed to be rescued and word got out to authorities. An article was published that explained that there were nearly 300 participants in 2014. It was the 23rd annual event. That day, there were long lines at Phantom Ranch Canteen, and the wastewater treatment operator reported that the sewer treatment plant was operating at capacity. It was reported that several minor medicals and search and rescue operations were attributed to Beck's group. Hikers complained about trail congestion. Beck claimed that the event was not commercial, but after a search warrant, it was discovered that the gross income was nearly $50,000 with a profit of nearly $10,000. Beck was charged, convicted, received a plea agreement, was fined, and was banned from the Grand Canyon. One hiker in the group later said that the park rangers were in foul moods because they had to come back to work after the government shut down. For the 22 years prior to this, they never had a problem with it. It is really sad as to how the rangers acted that day. But this person's comments were blasted as being insulting to the park. Laurent Osias Goudreau was originally from Massachusetts. He was stricken by polio as a child, later joined the Air Force as an X-ray technician, and settled in the Philippines after World War II. He became a teacher, helped many children, but became an alcoholic. He moved to Moab, Utah, where he adopted the nickname of Maverick. 
1998, at the age of 72, Goudreau set a personal goal to hike rim to rim. He accomplished it in the next year in 19 hours. Friends and co-workers were surprised, and that encouraged him to be obsessed with hiking rim to rim. He thrived on people's astonishment. With each additional R2R he completed, he and his public seemed to grow more inspired. His best time was 10 hours 40 minutes. Goudreau met Shirley at the Grand Canyon and they married in 1999. They lived in employee housing and Shirley worked at bookstores. She said, We have a wonderful life up here. We both love what we do and we have a nice place to live in. I always say, I'm going to die here. In 2004, Goudreau quit his job and set his sights to complete 30 rim-to-rim hikes that year. He would carry a 15-pound pack and two liters of water and used a walking stick. He would usually allow three days for a round trip, camping at Cottonwood Campground. About Goudreau's hikes, Shirley said, When he leaves, I always tell him, don't forget to come home. It will never stop until he wants to stop. He accomplished 42 crossings in 2004 and did 45 in 2005. He said, I've seen what a tremendous change it's done to me. I talk to people on the trail and the people say, you're an inspiration. In 2006, 80-year-old Gaudreau wanted to accomplish 80 crossings that year, a record that he hoped would never be broken. He planned to hike every week of the year. By the end of the year, he completed an amazing 106 crossings. I absolutely refuse to act my age. I'm happier and healthier than I've been in 80 years. When asked why he didn't stop at 80 crossings, he said, My legs just kept going. Goudreau went on a self-promotion bandwagon seeking media attention and adopted the name Rim to Rim Maverick. His fame spread and he wrote a weekly column in the Grand Canyon News and on his blog. Sadly, on February 5th, 2009, Goudreau made an early morning 911 call summoning the rangers to his home at Grand Canyon Village, saying that he had just shot his wife. When they arrived, they discovered that he had indeed murdered his wife in her sleep and then took his own life. No motive was ever discovered. Bruce Aiken, who lived in the canyon, see episode 49, knew Goudreau well because of the frequent visits to Roaring Springs. Aiken mentioned that when Goudreau started gaining fame, something went really wrong with him. Whether it was an underlying, undiagnosed mental condition, I'm not sure. He was single-minded and hungry for attention. The more he got, the more he wanted. He never wanted to talk about anything other than himself, and he wasn't into the canyon. It was just about setting an unbeatable record of crossings. My wife Mary and I considered him harmless, but we both knew he was a kook. Those who knew the two in town said, It's been difficult to all of us to cope with the shock and the realization that both of them were gone. More than 150 attended a memorial service for the two. Of Shirley, it was said that she was known for her humor, her guidance to tourists and junior rangers. She knew tremendous things about the canyon and always shared a little with visitors. When she worked at a deli, she knew your face and she knew what you were going to order. One writer put it this way. 
who drove Ironman hiking and defiance, inspired many people, especially seniors. On the flip side, whatever merits his example might have exemplified evaporated in a single moment of intense and inexcusable selfishness. Seeking after fastest known times has heated up during the past 10 years. As of 2020, the fastest known time for a double crossing is 5 hours, 55 minutes, 20 seconds by Jim Walmsley said in 2016. Taylor Norwin lowered the women's best in 2018 to 7 hours, 25 minutes, 58 seconds. For the single crossing, Tim Ferrix lowered the time to 2.39.28 in 2017, and also that year Alicia Vargo ran in 3 hours, 19 minutes, 23 seconds. If you are planning to run a rim-to-rim-to-rim -to -rim -to -rim today, don't try to do it in the heat of the summer. You will not enjoy it. You'll waste your trip. The inner canyon exceeds 100 degrees and it isn't fun to do when it's oppressively hot and very dangerous. Summer in the inner canyon starts in mid-May and lasts until September. A backcountry ranger who worked at the Grand Canyon for two decades said, Only fools and rangers hike the Grand Canyon in the summer. The rangers are only there to help the fools. Instead, try April, October, or November. Please respect slower hikers, backpackers, and mule trains. Don't stash anything along the way, especially at Phantom Ranch. As of 2018, for rim-to-rim -rim groups, a permit is required for groups of 12 or more, and no commercial operations are allowed at all. All groups organized by nonprofits also require a permit. Don't break the rules. It will only ruin the experience for everyone. With that, this is Davy Crockett, and this is the Ultra Running History Podcast. I hope you run fast and far, enjoy life, get outdoors, and most of all, stay safe and don't take unnecessary chances.